Hello, welcome back to the Gems of the Wire podcast, episode 16. We are back again with our sporting ramblings. Um, this is the second time recording this because I uh, had an unfortunate uh, mixing of two words. Um, so hopefully this will be it, <laughs> if, if that's why you're wondering why we're perhaps a little bit giggly. Um, but there we are. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good, I am. Uh, not a lot's happened in sports. So no, it's been a bit of a quiet my... week, isn't it? Yeah, my week's been very meh. It's like some, you know, good stuff's happened. United have won. Liverpool have lost. Um, but, but, but apart from that, not a lot's really happened uh, in my life. So Well, I imagine mine's basically the same, except uh, Liverpool lost and United <laughs> won. So, uh, yeah, there we are. Um, yeah. Right, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about um, Premier League goings on. Um, have a bit of a discussion about the Champions League as well, how things are all kind of lining up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and a few other bits and bobs, I guess. Um, some good news regarding the the well the lessening impact of COVID on sport, I guess, in the UK mm. for a little bit. Anyway, so um, we shall see what goes on there. But yeah, should we just uh, crack on with the with the football? Let's do that. Okay, so uh, Manchester City winning again. Um, I mean, I'm probably going a little bit off topic now, but I they're going to win it now, surely. Yeah, I. Uh, they're the only team that is playing like Premier League winners. Yes. Everybody are. else, well, best of rest everybody kind of else. A lot of teams are playing with that sort of top four form where mm. they'll maybe win four, lose one, win three, draw, you know, just that sort of, the, they, they win a lot of games, but they're mm. never consistent. There's always a little bit of a break, but yeah, yeah. nothing's stopping Man City right now. No, no, yeah, like you said, they're the only team that are kind of showing that kind of um, winning... Well, Mentality. It's a killer instinct, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody you know, can They're the only ones who seem to be, you know, pulling in that kind of solid run of form. Um, and yeah, to be honest with you, this season has turned out to be a little bit like it was a couple of seasons ago, where you know you had sort of Man City, you were kind of not off in the distance, but a fairly substantial amount, and then you had United in second, a you know significant gap between first and second. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think uh, I think it's safe to say that City are going to win the league now. But I think, to be honest with you, that's probably the only position right now where you could look at and go, yeah, I think that's pretty much sorted. Oh, um, I don't know. I think Sheffield United are pretty oh, soon yeah, to be true. rock bottom. That, that's true, actually, yeah. Sheff- <laughs> and either them or West Brom. I'm no longer on the Sam Allardyce bus I, anymore. I, I feel like he's not doing very well. Sheffield United was probably nailed on after about two months, wasn't it? And I think everyone kind of accepted that Sheffield were going down. Yeah. That you can't score pitch. goals, you're probably not going to stay up. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not a good recipe, that. Well, and just going back to Man City briefly, you know, you look at the the games they have left um, in the Premier League, obviously. Um, who have we got? We've got West Ham, which right now is a very difficult game. Um, Wolves, United, that's a fixture. Southampton, Fulham, Leicester, uh, Leeds, Villa, Palace, Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton, Everton. Um, yeah. And you know, I I would, on paper, I would have United. Uh, sorry, I'd have City winning. Apart from maybe, well, apart from West Ham, United, and Leicester, I'd have them winning the rest of those comfortably. Wow. To be honest. Well, yeah, they of those teams. Um, mm-hmm. Well, in essence, six of them can be in the top six right now, but mm. that does depend on like Villa winning both of their games. So I haven't really included them, but five mm. of those six teams are in the top six right mm. now. And, I mean, 
I'd be, the West Ham one's going to be a debatable one because for some reason City just absolutely smash them every time they play them. But also, yeah, yeah. I, I I haven't looked at what West Ham's games they've played so far, whether they've got a lot of their hard ones to come. Mm. And but they are to be fair to them, they're fourth after two thirds of the season, which Crazy, is very impressive. Yeah. But I I don't. I mean, I'd even consider a team like Leeds or Villa or Wolves, who are a little bit further down the table. I, I probably consider them probably more difficult for City. But if City aren't, I mean, if you look at that and said, skin, aren't they? yeah, absolutely. And if you'd look at it and think, which you know, are they going to go for the rest of the season and win every single game? Because I mean, they're in such good form. Mm. I mean, I'm saying United, Leicester, Chelsea. I, I don't think I'd put Everton into that bracket no, of teams that no. could challenge them. So. Well, yeah, the thing—the thing with Everton as well is that they've been kind of good and then bad, haven't they? Is in the, exactly, they, yeah. they, they're more of the team of a top six sort of form. Yes, yeah. They—they they don't, they don't rack up nearly enough wins to be considered for top four, but no. they're, they're there. They're close. You know, mm. they, they can be top six uh, if they win their game in hand. Mm. Um, so yes, it's, it's an interesting one to see. Yeah, you know, and I think the thing is as well is that you know, even though West Ham are in fourth. And you've got Leicester in the top, like in and around the top four as well. If you just look purely on performance, I think that the gap between City and those teams is uh, is fairly large at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'd have. Um, well, I thought City were going to beat Arsenal by more on the weekend. Scoring yeah. a goal in th- inside three minutes and then not scoring I mean, again for I, the entire yeah, game. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like City were a little bit in cruise control though, weren't they? As in, they they didn't really have to. Do no, a I, event, so I don't think they I don't think they were challenged at all really no. in the game in terms of their defence or their no. keeper. No. But the game they didn't kill it off, which was a little bit no. strange for City because they have been killing off particularly quite good teams as of late. But um, mm. yeah, well, characteristically not as red hot as normal. But to be fair, they had a few guys playing that, you know, would come back from injury or perhaps weren't in favour. Yeah. So maybe Pep's just Starting to get uh, their gears going again, in a sense. I mean, De Bruyne played close to 60, 70 minutes before getting brought off, and he's just coming back from a few yeah, games off. Yeah, yeah. Gabriel Jesus was playing, and, you know, he's not exactly. Well, I mean, I think, unfortunately, amazing. the way that Arsenal playing at the moment is in. You know, City don't really have to do a lot today to go and be mm. Arsenal, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. And you can probably tell that throughout this whole little segment, every time I say, I think it's nailed on the city going to win it. There's a little bit of me that's uh, crying inside, knowing that Liverpool aren't <laughs> even remotely close. Um, I know. At the beginning of the season, odds on, I think everyone thought Liverpool are going to go back to back. I thought, yeah. even though City are a good team, I thought Liverpool was so good last year, and City were quite a bit off the pace last mm. year. That I thought is easily going to be back to back wins um, for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean. And they've the gone back is, to back to back to back home losses. I mean, the thing crazy. is, this is this is the thing. As in, like, I I'm always rubbish at making predictions because I football, especially the Premier League, is so topsy turvy. As in, like, I remember I watched West Ham versus Newcastle on the first day of the season, and I think I remember saying, I, th- I think I think Newcastle won that game. But I remember saying to somebody, if West Ham don't win this game, they're going to go down. Because I said, they've got Newcastle. And then like their next seven games were like Liverpool. It was it was ridiculous, the fixture list they had. And yeah, they, they lost 2-0 to Newcastle. Yeah, there we go. And then, all of a sudden, how many months later are we? That was 
you know, well, however many September, months it's been. Was, yeah. yeah, so however many months it's been. It's about six, yeah. You know, West Ham are in the top four, so the Premier League is just a bit bonkers at the moment. And I think based on previous form, yes, you would have had Liverpool in there, but then who could have predicted the downturn in key players' form for Liverpool, the unfortunate injuries, you know... Um, yeah, it's just been a bit of a bonkers season, really. And like Leicester, being in the in the top four, is it not? You know, I wouldn't have well, had to Leicester. Be fair to, to Leicester, be they as much as uh, probably pre-season. Looking at it, you kind of assumed Liverpool, City, mm. and then you you probably assume it was going to be United, Chelsea, or mm. you know one of them two in whatever order. Um, because in a sense, that those were the teams which either looked like they had the quality or that at least backed up what quality they had mm. with more. Like United, like. Liverpool, I mean, obviously everybody thought they were going to be top four but for certain because they were such a good start, squad the mm. year before. City, I don't think anybody ever really thought they were going to be outside the top four. No. United, they didn't back up their squad, but they had a lot of good form going into the end of the season. And mm. Chelsea spent more money than anybody by about four times as much. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think you looked at it and you thought, there's no way those four teams aren't making top four. And to be fair, I mean, Leicester were there or thereabouts for all of last season. I think mm. it was only the last week or two weeks before the end which they dropped outside the top four and missed out in the Champions League so I I don't I think Leicester have always performed above their squad ability yes and oh yeah I I think they actually made some really good signings this off-season so they could well establish themselves as a top four team I mean it's going to be hard for any team at the moment to establish themselves as a top four team because there's at least six teams that have a genuine shout of top four every mm. season now. It's yeah. not like days gone where it's everybody knew it was going to be United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal. It's, mm. you know, there's, there's genuine competition for it now. Mm. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. And like, like heck am I making predictions because I have no idea. Like I said, apart from City winning the thing, I, I you know, who knows what position that top four is going to be in by the end of the season. Who knows? I mean, I guess it's weird as well because you know we've had some, uh, perhaps not so much Leicester as, and you probably would have had them around the top four anyway. But West Ham certainly are kind of a bottom oh, yeah. of the blue. Completely West random. Ham are a bottom half team, like in everybody's eyes. And I, I don't yeah. think until this week when they actually made the top four, I don't think at any point I thought, yeah, West Ham are going to get you know are close to it. I didn't even acknowledge their existence in the Premier League table. Crazy. Cause it? It, although I'm just looking at it now because they won their last game. Fifth place drew, sixth lost, seventh won, eighth lost, ninth lost, tenth lost. They are on 45 points, so that means... Oh, no. I was going to say, I thought they jumped quite a few places in one week, but they haven't, actually. They, but does they that must not have been about seventh. How, yeah. how crazy the Premier League is, in that on that basis, you'd probably have like a lot of those teams losing to teams that are lower down than them, them in the table. Mm-hmm. You'd have to assume... Um, it's just well, well, to, to be fair though you look at the top five and if you take all of their last five games mm-hmm. like of those 25 total games they've only lost two combined mm-hmm. which is pretty impressive so that, so that top five is hitting form just at the right time and mm-hmm. they are in the top Like it's not like there's any teams below them that are hitting form and gradually catching them up or any of those sort of top five that are losing form and gradually falling their way down it's like the top five are pushing away now or pulling away and the sort of next five below them 
haven't got any momentum at all to keep up. I mean, to be fair, though, you do look at that next five and you probably assume some of them would beat some of that top five. But, yep. I mean, as the, as it's going, it doesn't, it's not happening. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a yeah. It is a strange season, but at the same time, I do feel like it's starting to find normality again. Like, only in the sense of, you look at the table now, apart from West Ham being abnormally high and Liverpool being abnormally low, I think you probably go through there and you go, that looks roughly about where they should be from what's happened this season. Mm. Like City, United. I mean, Leicester were going to be in that top five, six anyway. So I guess mm. it's it's not crazy to think of them as a top four team. Yeah. And you got Chelsea in fifth and, you know, you'd assume they'd be up there. Liverpool are a bit of a bizarre one being down in sixth. But then you've got Everton seventh. Villa eighth, probably overperforming, but still in that mid-table area. Mm. Spurs are abnormally low. Arsenal are, you know, bang on with 10th place. Mm. <laughs> and then, well, Wolves Wolves are lower, but that's because they've had the injuries. And then you've got Leeds, Southampton, Palace, Burnley, Brighton, Newcastle, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield. All of those teams you'd expected at the beginning of the season to be in the bottom half, and they are. So I think it is starting to work its way out, where the cream of the crop is starting to rise and the sort of the false positives are starting to come down. So yeah, it's finding its way there. But it has been an absolutely crazy season, yeah. Yeah, absolutely bonkers. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, as in, uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't decide whether because I, I, I like the fact that the season's been a little bit more competitive, even, even with Liverpool struggling. Um, but I don't know. I can't, I can't decide whether because I think there's being competitive, and then I think there's just generally being the the quality not being as good, which leads to it being more competitive. I see. I think the quality's been quite high this season. Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, when you look well, at the, when you look at the points that you know teams are having to get in order to get into certain positions, mm-hmm. you know, like well, you just got to look at you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but the, the the point obviously, you know, it's less points to get fourth than maybe it would have been last season, but that's just because the top four haven't had that enormous gulfing quality between mm. them and the rest where they can't compete. A lot of those mid-table, lower-table uh, teams have invested heavily. It's paying off. Mm. And it, it's, not, it's not just, oh, okay, those guys have, you know, they've lost loads and, you know, and it's cut the corner. It's just because it is genuinely more competitive that those teams aren't just mm. dominating, winning every game that they want. But, you know what I mean? I, I think I more just going to thought that it's because the better teams have regressed rather than the middle of the field have caught up. To be honest, um, that, that's my kind of thinking. I get what you mean. I mean, to be fair, some teams have played poorly that shouldn't have. Mm. Teams such as Spurs, Arsenal, maybe even Chelsea in the first half of the mm-hmm. season. But on an overall perspective, I mean, City have only lost two games. Mm. United have lost four. That's probably where I'd have assumed... Well, I'd probably have assumed United probably would have lost more games at this stage of the season, but mm. City about bang on when they are. I mean, apart from Liverpool, who've obviously lost probably, well, five or six games more than anybody expected them to at this mm. stage. I mean, everyone thought they'd be at the top. Everybody else is doing about what you'd expect them to. I mean, Spurs have been a really poor team this season. Mm. And to be fair, I, I think a lot... Well, I don't know if a lot of people would have expected it to be this way, but... I think any team that hires Jose Mourinho, yeah. you really gotta have some stellar players, or it's it's gotta be the right formula for it to work with him. You can't yeah. just you can't just have any old players or 
Mm. Loads of skillful players. He works with really cult players who've got a drive and passion. And that Spurs side doesn't have a lot of heart in there. Like, you don't look at the guys in that squad thinking, yeah, there's a really strong mentality in that side. It's like the, the squad pretty much gets assembled and disassembled every few years with, like, whenever they get a good player, they'll sell him, make a load yeah. of money and buy six more. And it's like, well, that sort of topsy-turvy change all the time is probably not very good for them. No. Um, but I, I do th- I mean, Leeds have been really good as a promoted team. I mean, they're on 10 wins at the moment in mm. 12th place, but they've scored 40 goals. I mean... Yeah. West Ham haven't scored 40 goals and they're in fourth. So I think some of their play's been good, but obviously they've not done particularly well on the defensive side of mm. things. Villa have played incredibly well. I mean, th- that's a team which really shows where you should invest and how you should invest. It's like they've gone, okay, last season we weren't good. What do we do this season? We'll buy a striker. We'll buy a couple of guys who've played either in the Premier League or in the Championship. So they they're used to the rigour of our leagues in a sense because it is a more physical league than say the Spanish or the French league Mm. where flair seems to get you a little bit further than it does in the Premier League for instance and and it's playing dividends I mean Everton I I can't I can't think anyone who they've signed this season but I guess it's been the progression of a couple of seasons of wise spending in a sense well, they, they we get a good keeper Alan get, and get a good Rodriguez, defenders they? They, they seem to be oh yeah them, exactly yeah big ones. so they've got some quality coming into that side particularly Hamas Rodriguez I mean that's has he he's won Champions Leagues isn't he um, well he would have won, won last year wouldn't he with Bayern I'm trying was he to in that squad possibly but, I can't even remember now he's yeah I, either way though he's he's a quality signing and I feel like a lot of the teams are signing some better players that you know are getting them towards the top. But I think it's showing that. Yeah, but is he on a free or is he on a loan? He was free. Okay. See, to be fair, he has played for Ancelotti at both Real Madrid and Bayern, so perhaps he's like. Yeah, and that's the thing. You see all of these teams, and they're getting some decent managers in as well. I mean. this is why I think it's a better season this year because I, I just think everyone's a lot more competitive and I don't think... I mean, maybe the quality's dropped from the top two because of how dominant they've been in the past. But mm. apart from that, I think everybody's taken a step up and everyone's yeah. sort of finessed what they're good at. Like, you see some teams and their whole thing is just defend, don't concede, yeah. and it is genuinely hard to break them down. Mm. I mean, Southampton, you could say, arguably have been a soft touch considering they were they were in the top four early in the season. I don't think anyone thought they were gonna stay there. But to, to I, I think they won well, I think they lost about seven or eight in a row and then they've just got a draw this weekend and they're all the way down in thirteenth. So Yeah, it's, and that included nine nil loss as well. Yeah, exactly. So so you do get the odd thumping as well. I mean, you had Villa beating uh, Liverpool seven two. Was it seven two that one? Yeah. And then yeah, you, you see said, Liverpool beat Palace seven yeah. one. So so you do get the odd... I, I, I've really enjoyed this season, just mm. in the terms of freak results, but also genuinely... Like, not freak for the wrong reasons. Teams that are playing the right way um, and they're getting results from it. I mean, as a Liverpool fan, I'd be lying if I said I enjoyed this season as to what's happened oh, yeah. so far. I in, in terms of, you know, you can't argue with the kind of uh, entertainment value then, should we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, should we move on to Europe? Let's do that. Um, um, so yeah, Champions League is looking a little bit, you know, uh, interesting, um, particularly for certain teams, you know, perhaps like um, Liverpool, Chelsea, you know, the, the, with the um, 
the league hopes dwindling perhaps a little bit as the Champions League yeah. become a bit more appealing. Well, we were saying earlier in the season that this, the the is it sixteen teams that are left in the Champions League? Uh, the sixteen, yeah, I think it's sixteen, isn't it? Yeah, um, the sixteen teams that are left in the Champions League, they were like probably the most competitive sixteen we'd ever seen. Mm. Like that, that was what yeah, we were saying. We did, uh, actually. Yeah, yeah, we did a whole. <laughs> it's incredible, my memory. <laughs> um, but we were saying how like tight it's all going to be between them all. Yeah. And if anything, those teams aren't performing at the moment. No, I mean, no, they're not. I picked out, I think, about three, maybe. Um, but PSG just lost to Monaco this weekend. That drops them down to third place. Yeah. And it means they're four points off first. Barcelona could slip to fourth if Sevilla win tonight. Um, Atletico did have an enormous lead at first. I mean, I think at one stage we said they were nine points clear with about two games yeah, in hand. Yeah, it was something absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And you were like, that's and, crazy, yeah. And now it's just three points with one game in hand. So that's come down massively. And Bayern mm. Munich haven't won in their last two games. And they've only got two-point lead at the top of the Bundesliga. Obviously, you know, those teams are still towards the top. But mm. particularly in the case for a team like Man City, I mean, I know they do have title hopes, but they've got such an enormous gap that they probably don't really have to think about it all that much mm. anymore. But do, do you think some of the English teams, I mean, Chelsea find in form, they very good defence as of late. I wouldn't, I mean, United aren't in it, so we haven't actually got a fourth English team. No, but no. It's just as good an opportunity as, say, Chelsea and Man City. I mean, I would say Liverpool, but because they're you know, not in the best of form, I didn't want to. Mm. I, d- I didn't think it would probably be, you know, a wise... Well, like, I mean, the... the thing with Liverpool is is that they have got reputation for... Yeah, they are a cup competition team. Well, and yeah. generally turning up for big fixtures, I guess. You know, as in, when mm-hmm. you look at the, the poor results this season, it's not been against, you know, like City or, or United or Chelsea. It's, it's been against, like, Southampton, like, teams where we should really be winning... Or, or like West Brom, for example, games where we should really be winning, we're not. Um, and, you know, like, I guess there is a bit of experience in the squad with Champions League competition. Um, I mean, I'm reluctant to say Liverpool should give up on the league because I don't think it's without, you know, well, it's not out of the realms of possibility to... Sorry, when I say the league, I mean going getting into top four now. Exactly, not, yeah, that's not the league thing. title. There is so much more, like, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about football is you're not playing for one thing. No. You're always playing to, whether it's survival, whether it's mm. top six, whether it's top four, whether it's the league. Mm. There's lots of things you're always playing for. Yeah. And I think that that is where it's, it's not like maybe other sports where you go, well, I'm safe. Like the NFL, for instance. Let's mm. say your team has, you know, a two-game lead on any other team in your division, for instance. You go... Mm well, I'm not going to drop out of the playoffs. So they start to rest guys ready towards... Because there's no loss in, really. Yeah. Or even if you're at the bottom, there's no risk of relegation. But mm. with Liverpool, like there's no guarantee. It's quite unlikely, I think, that they're going to win the Champions League based on their form and yeah. all of the oh, issues yeah. they've currently got. I know, I, 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 I didn't think even you were going to assume they were going to win it or anything. But mm. it's like the, the knock-on effect of not competing in the league could be so drastic because not not getting top four, for instance, mm. um, you know that could really hinder. Especially, I'm not going to say they're going to go into a rebuild, but especially as they quite clearly need some reinforcements at the very yes. least. It's like you you do need that allure of having Champions League football is definitely going to be one which yes is going to be a driving factor in getting some players to sign for you. Mm. Um, I mean, the thing is, is that you know for City as well, if you you know going on to some of the others, you know you got City who are. 
it's the one competition that they haven't won, isn't it? The Champions yeah, League. They um, crave it. Yeah, you know, and do they kind of not risk their league title because I think the gap is big enough. It's but points, in, do they yeah. kind of put it a little bit to the side somewhat? But you know, mm-hmm. things change quickly in football. Can you be that naive, I guess, and just assume that you've already won it, kind of thing? Um, yeah. You know, Chelsea. I mean, for Chelsea, I guess you know. Chelsea can't afford like to give up on either really. No, um, no, they can't. I mean, I know, yeah, but I mean, like it's a really good opportunity for Chelsea in the sense that they are playing well, but mm. they are they are fifth. They aren't in the top four yet, mm. and they are playing Atletico Madrid. And as much as we just said that they've lost all these, well, they haven't lost loads of points, but they can have at the same time. Mm. Um, but it's not Atletico Madrid at the end of the day. They are still top of La Liga. It's like they've got Luis Suarez. It's like mm. it it does feel like this is going to be an interesting one for them because it is quite a good opportunity yeah. especially with some of the other big teams playing each other yeah like i mean juventus i didn't mention juventus before but juventus they're not even i think they're fourth in their league at the moment yeah um, they're not doing well and they've got the porto sides, so uh, yeah exactly did you did you see lukaku and ibrahimovic mm. uh, in the game that, I, I was loving that it was mm. like lukaku scores and he's just like come here look at me it's like <laughs> i thought they were friends after playing at united but they were clearly Ooh, not, clearly not. Um, but yeah juventus could go out to porto if they don't pick it up um yeah. real madrid real madrid actually i've got some pretty decent form at the moment although to, to have caught up. i was reading before the start of this podcast that zinedine zidane for that fixture has 11 fit players Oh, that's not good. And that's Atalanta. Yeah. And Atalanta made it to the semis last year. It, at, Although, Atalanta, uh, you know, they, they, you can't write them You off. don't know what's going to happen with them because they can just score at will. I mean, yeah. I think they scored something like 70 goals last season. Yeah, they were Crazy amount. Hmm. I mean, that's where Leicester got their right back or left back from, Castagna. And he's been hmm. really good this season. Apart yeah. from the period where he's injured, it's like, apart from that, they've been a really good side. Um hmm. But Dortmund are down in sixth, and they play Sevilla, who are about mm. to go third if they win their game tonight in La Liga. Barca play PSG. That's one of the big two going out. Um, yeah, well, Liverpool playing Leipzig, but Liverpool big two on paper, I think. Given current form, I think you back PSG. Yeah, every day well, of the week yeah. at the moment. I think did PSG like? Yeah, they beat them four one. Four one, yeah. And back baseball. <laughs> so two that's goals. over. <laughs> um, um, but Bayern play Lazio, so that'll be an easy game for them. And yeah, you just City play Munch and Gladbach, so they'll probably beat them. So mm. there's a lot of a lot of the big teams are at risk of going out early mm. um, in this year's tournament. And who knows? This could be the year for a, a City, a Chelsea, possibly even. I was looking at some of the other sides. A Sevilla <laughs> to, to Sevilla, go on and win this whole thing. <laughs> I tell you what, if Sevilla if Sevilla won the Champions League, that would sum up this kind of like pandemic ridden football period like <laughs> perfectly to be honest there we they, are they've always been a phenomenal Europa League side they have yeah who they knows if they can transfer it into Champions League football I think I'm right in saying that like this is one of their best performances in the Champions League yeah and they always used to finish third in the Champions League yeah so they'd always drop meaning that they go into back the Europa. down to Europa win the Europa which automatically qualifies them for the Champions League <laughs> and repeat and finish third again <laughs> it's like what are you doing it's like just win things well the thing is as well it was like oh this is a record it was when Emery was there they were like oh this yeah, is a record they won it three times, how many times. Yeah. and it's like I can't decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because when you win that you get put into the Champions League and 
Yeah, I don't know. You don't. They're serial <laughs> failures, but winners at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it, isn't it? You're a serial failure. No, I'm not. I win. It. I win the Europa every season. <laughs> so that's, we that's what we're all here for. We want the easy qualification. It's <laughs> <laughs> all man games. All man games. Um, there we are. Should we do our highlight of the week? Yeah. Do you want to go first on me? Yeah, sure. I'll go. I'll, mine's kind of like two part highlights because they're not really sp- like directly sporting related, I guess. Um, yeah. The first part highlight is that in England today they've announced that. Um, I think it's like 25% of fans could return to stadiums by mid-May. Ooh. Football. That's so good. That'll be good, yeah. And the second Ooh. one is is that the Formula One series Drive to Survive is returning on the 19th of March. And I was which, buzzing about this. Which Just be, 20 minutes after the thing got announced, I sent it to our group chat. Which is, uh, <laughs> like, it'll, cool. it'll be interesting to see what the, the take is on the whole kind of COVID situation and yeah. what impact that had on teams. Yeah, so those are my part highlights of what do you week. think oh, that 10,000 fans possibly in stadiums could be uh, any sort of factor this season I mean it's quite hard to get much noise um, with just 10,000 that's knows? that's the last fixture of the season oh so never mind so so in terms of I mean unless it comes down to the final day which given the way the title races go in probably not given the way the top four races go in maybe probably. I would still be surprised to be honest I'd, I'd yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, my highlight of the week was Cardiff City goalkeeper Dillon Phillips. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, he <laughs> saved two penalties against Preston on Saturday, which takes his overall penalty saving record to 11 penalties faced, 11 saved. So he's only conceded two out of the 13 penalties he's ever faced. Which Sorry, I say that again. 11 penalties. So of the 13 penalties people have taken against him, right. he saved 11 of them. Good effort, that, isn't it? I know. Not bad. That's incredible. That's pretty. I think good. the Cardiff one four nil, but two of the I could just, I just couldn't believe that they he saves two in one game, and not All even right. a penalty shootout like that. Well, crazy. either you got to uh, applaud the keeper or criticise the penalty taker because. Uh, Do you think they were good pens? He just were they? he stuck okay. to the line and he just flew across them to get the Fair enough. Can't argue with that. Um, right. Do you want to guide us on to the next topic, Jack? Yeah, well, as people may or may not know, this has been a very slow week for sports. Yeah, we not a lot yeah, has happened. I mean, last week we kind of uh, delved into the saved at Formula One goss. Um, yeah. We also had the Six Nations. We haven't had either of those this week, so we've pretty much just had the Premier League football in terms of live sport, haven't we? It's, well, yeah. I say that there probably are other sports out there. Yeah, the cycling season's this. just started back up. But the weekend, sorry. The cycling season has just oh, started okay, back up, okay. but uh, I, I mean, I don't know if this is the forum for such sports because uh, I think I'd be talking on my own for that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I kind of thought, well, in the world of sports, there seems to be this wave of young quality coming through in different ones, and I kind of just put the question out there: Who do you think will be the most successful in their field, in a sense? I mean. I listed a few people um, from different sports. I got yeah. Patrick Mahomes of the NFL. I mean, th- there are other good players in the NFL that are young. Mm. I mean, you can look at guys like Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, possibly, mm. um, as young guys who are doing well. But I don't think anybody really thinks of anybody but Mahomes in terms of who no. is genuine quality really. in the NFL. No. But he's got a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl MVP. And an MVP, just outright for a season. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, I, I chucked him in there. I, I got Mbappe. He's got a World Cup, four league titles, a Champions League runner-up. Mm. I did put Phil Foden. Um, not because I think he's going to get a ton of individual accolades, but mm. he's only 20, I think. Or 22 is one of them two. Mm. Uh, but he already has two Premier Leagues. No, he's 20 years and he's got two Premier mm. Leagues. So I it's thought, not bad, I mean, effort, is it? potentially he could go on to get quite a few in his career. But Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've put Erling Haaland on there as well, haven't you? Um, yeah. Now, it's a football, yeah. Yeah, for me, not not skip, just skipping over Phil Foden for a second, for me, the next sort of, you know, like we've had Ronaldo and Messi and we've for the best yeah. part of a decade now. Um. For me, the next sort of comparison is Mbappe and Haaland, based on what we've seen, I yeah, think. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I, I feel like Mbappe is a touch more, if I'm honest. The, you see, that's interesting. That's interesting, because last, as of last season, I think I remember saying this to you a few times, Like I was looking at Mbappe, not that I'm sort of any amazing football connoisseur, but sitting there as a football fan, I was like, yeah, I think Mbappe's going to be the next big thing. And then he was really disappointed in the Champions League final. I know PSG weren't great, but as in, and, and and I appreciate that Mbappe's young, but considering he's like been billed as this kind of all next big thing, he was like crazy quiet in that game. Um, to be honest, though, you do I do think that Ronaldo, in so, I mean, to be fair, Ronaldo's played in so many big games that maybe I'm just nitpicking at the ones he wasn't mm. particularly good in, but. On the large, I I never thought Ronaldo really turned up for the enormous games. I mean, no, you look you at the You're Euros right. semi-final where they beat Wales, and I don't think did he score in that game. I think he did, or it was like a deflection or something like that. Oh, I can't fair. remember what it was. But then in the final, it was Edda who got yeah, the winner cool. in the like hundred and nineteenth minute. And Ronaldo didn't really play much of a part well, in it. But he, he did come off injured and needed his knee ligaments. But no, you're right. Mm. As in, uh, for a little while, uh, Ronaldo... But then you go for the Champions League ones. You even get, like, Bale scoring some of the yeah. crazy goals to win them. It's, mm. It ever seems to be Ronaldo who's on the no, golden touch for, them, in, for the finals. It, it wasn't the fact that Mbappe wasn't the... You know, it's not like, oh, because he's not the... Scoring the goal and doing this and doing that, but as in like he didn't even as in it was a complete no show. Yeah, as in it, it was particularly poor. I thought. Um, do, I mean, do, do you not think that that was part in part because Bayern Munich were just so dominant? Possibly. I mean that team possibly. was. I mean, even they did they have David Alaba on the side, which was obviously he's just as quick as him. Well, they brought, so. they brought Coutinho on off the bench and stuff like that, didn't they? Isn't it? it yes, ridiculous. There's, there's a, but, um, a wealth of quality. But I don't know what it is about Haaland though. He just seems to have that killer instinct for me. Whereas Mbappe just doesn't seem for me. I don't know. I I just when I look at Haaland playing, when I look at Mbappe play, I think Mbappe is the more silky player. But I think I don't know. It's a bit of a tricky I, one. I think if anybody's looking at the two, I, I genuinely think that Mbappe is the player they'll be more likely to sign. Well, more willing to sign if they could. Mm. Just I just think he's got Maybe. that sort of X factor where he can go, yeah, I'm going to flick it on and just blitz people. Mm. Like, I know Haaland's good, but when you're a centre forward, I feel you, you do have an impact on the game. But you look at a guy like Robert Lewandowski, he's been at the top of his craft for years. And last year, he probably should have won the Ballon d'Or, but didn't. Because COVID, which doesn't really mm. make sense, because it's a trophy, not really a ceremony. Um, but you see a guy like that, and it's that like he's never dropped. But it took other players in other positions to perform badly 
for him to be a genuine contender for that. Obviously, mm. he still played amazing, but I do mm. feel Haaland's sort of career mm. is going to be based mostly on how other players around him fit mm. with him and the sort of service he gets because you just you can't impact the game mm. a huge amount as a striker if you haven't got certain pieces around you because if you haven't got those pieces who know, you, you know if you haven't got those pieces and you end up playing for a team towards the bottom half like a crystal palace i mean mm. who knows ben teke could have been a phenomenal striker we'll never know because he never had the pieces around him but so it meant that he's always playing on like the halfway line yeah, he's no. never going to score goals in that no. situation. So he needs them all to be further up the pitch. Mm. And if Benteke is playing for, say, a Man City, who knows? He could be a forty-goal-a-year striker. You just you see, it's the sort of the circumstances you're in as a striker. Whilst when you're mm. sort of one of these wingers playing at some of these other clubs, I feel like you've got more license to put your stamp on the game and yeah, maybe. show your quality. And I, I just think that's why Mbappe is probably. Um, Gonna have a bigger impact. Well, I mean, the bottom line is, I mean, obviously, you can't judge team uh, accolades directly with no, the individual. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Mbappe has won a World Cup, which mm-hmm. you know there aren't many players of his age who can. He's won, apart from the Champions League, he's won everything he could possibly win. So, I guess at that point, you can't really argue with how good he is, can you? Yeah, um, I mean, if Haaland wins a World Cup. Um, I think Haaland <laughs> will be the greatest player of all time because yes. I don't think anyone thinks Norway are going to win. Is it Norway? No. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't think Norway are going to win a World Cup anytime soon. No, um, probably not. Being he's the only player I know that mm. plays for Norway. But, um, um, but yeah, going back to the Phil Foden thing, I saw something interesting the other day and um, I think it was an interview with James Madison from Leicester and they, they, they asked him, basically, do they think this next generation of England players is going to be like that 2010 catalogue of Spanish players. Did, did, were they saying that with James Madison being considered in that batch? Because yes. James Madison's... I, I don't know how old he is now. I'm going to double-check this now. But I don't I, think he's I, massively I old. Is he not? I kind of assumed he was quite old now. But even so, um, even if you don't include oh, he's 24. James... But so I guess he's still in this batch. So if you... When I see this batch, I'm more thinking Jaden Sancho... Mason Greenwood, Phil Foden. I'm not really considering James Madison in that. I feel like, but to be fair, he's actually quite close to them in age. But you yeah. also actually have guys like Jack, uh, Jack Grealish, who's yeah. probably not miles off those guys' age. Nope. Yeah. Maybe this could be the start of something, mm. but to be fair, that's probably the biased English press. I mean, wanted to let, let's, let's just put this into context up. now. They're comparing, like, Jadon Sancho mm-hmm. with David Villa. Uh, yeah. To be to be fair, I mean you've got. I guess you've got to consider. You've got, isn't, I, say again, sorry. That Spanish squad isn't just like when you see these English lot. They are all between twenty and twenty-four. But you see that Spanish squad. You've got your Iniestas and your Xabis who are about thirty-two, thirty-three, and you also add some guys like Pedro who are in their le- low twenties. So I don't know how you can really compare them as a batch because I think you also have to consider some of the other guys like Sergio Busquets. I mean. I mean, he's only literally recently retired, if he has yeah. retired from Spain. No, he hasn't. So it's like he's been there that entire time. Well, he time. might have from international, actually. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I know he's still playing for Barca. Um, but, you know what I mean, in, in that sense, I, I don't think that Spanish side can be considered just on the basis of a few young guys coming through at the same no, time. But, but as in, if you, if you look at the 2010 World Cup winning team, they were of a similar 
age. You know, as in mm. like, in, I, I, I don't think Indiana yeah. and Shavu were as old as you said they were in 2010. Because bear in mind, as in, um, Xavi retired. Xavi retired from Barcelona when they won the Champions League with Messi, Suarez, Neymar. That was 2015, I think. Iniesta so, was 25 at that point. So there you go, in his prime. Yeah. So, but then, just for context, what they're saying there is they're comparing James Madison at 24 with Iniesta at 25. Although Xavi was 30, just saying. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I know what you mean. I guess they're saying there's so much promising players coming yeah. through at this moment. That, but to be fair, they're all attacking players. And I don't know how that balances out. The thing is, Jack, out. I'm pretty sure we've been here before. Have we not? We're In what oh, sense? Well, dare I say it? Golden generation? <laughs> oh. <laughs> to be fair, though, that England side of before genuinely had some insane players in it. Like, how they oh, did it. Did. But, but isn't, that, isn't that the thing? Like, they say, oh, compare it to the 2010 World Cup score when you've got players like, with the greatest respect, James Madison, compared to, like, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard... Yeah, Wayne but... Rooney, Rio Ferdinand, Ashley Cole. <laughs> like, I feel yeah, like this... It's quite a gulf there. Yes. <laughs> like, to be fair, I don't think James Madison is of the quality to be considered in those guys. He's, he's got the form at the moment, but, I mean, you've also got to look who they're playing against. Mm. It's like, I I mean, I can't rattle off who England were up against in those times, but you were peak Brazil, that's all I remember. Um and some peak Italian sides. But then mm. you go to our time, and it's like, well, that French side, I mean, they've got two teams, which could probably outplay yes. um, the English side. Yeah. You look at the Germans, and they've probably one and a half teams worth of players that can outplay mm. the England side. I mean, even the Spanish side's slowly creeping back to where they should be, and the Dutch side is phenomenal at the moment. Yeah, it's about as good as it's seen in the last sort of 10 years, isn't it? So, yeah, I... I do feel, when they always say like iron sharpens iron, I, I do think that there's a lot of good players coming through, but they're all making each other better, which is kind of why a lot of these other nations are sort of almost doubling down on how good they are, because they've just got mm. so many players coming through of good quality. Mm. There we are. Anyway, a little bit of a tangent. Mm. Um, but Well, let's go to other sports. Do you think either George Russell or Charles Leclerc could have... A sort of impact in Formula One that, say, a Schumacher or a Hamilton has had? Um, I'm going to go with no. Mm. For a couple of reasons. I, I, I think that I think Leclerc will win titles. Um, titles, think, plural, more than one. Yeah, potentially. Oh. Um, if, if, well, if Ferrari can provide him with a car consistently, which they don't seem to be able to do at the moment. Um, you know... I think the thing with um, comparing to Hamilton or Schumacher is in, you know, how old is Charles Leclerc now? I shall check. But you can keep talking. Because I, th- I think <laughs> yeah. I'd be right in saying that at the age of... 23. 23, there you are. Well, I think, bear in mind, Hamilton had won, won, his, won a title in his second season in Formula 1. Mm-hmm. You'd assume that Leclerc isn't going to win one this season... Um, based on the fact that the majority of the kind of engine um, stuff has been frozen. Um, so you'd assume that it's not going to be until at least the next regulation change, which is the following season. And even then, it's like, well, are Ferrari going to be able to catch up with Mercedes in that time? 
Mm-hmm. Well, um, to be fair, though, they, they had that big drop-off this year because there was something not strictly legal about their engine. But yeah, the season before, they, yeah. have, they have, for many years, had a very good car. I mean, they haven't... Have they made a new engine for this year? Like, it's completely different from last year. Am I well, right in saying that? Well, no, well, possibly, but as in... The, what they have this year will be based off what they used last year. Okay, so that's not a good sign. No, but that's to what be I mean. Fair, they're Ferrari. They're the oldest team in F one. And if and any team should be able to sort that out, it should be them. So who knows? Yes, they could but then be good. the thing is, Jack, I feel like people have been saying that for near enough ten years now. Mm. When you think of how I'm trying to think of the last, the last Ferrari champion was Kimi Räikkönen in two thousand and seven, I think. Yeah, but at the same time, you've got to consider that I don't think anybody can match what Mercedes are doing. They're just too no. efficient, too ruthless. No, so I, I, and, I yeah. And, to I be think fair, based, Ferrari have been their main competitor up until last I year. Think, and I think based on that point alone, I don't think you're ever going to... Well, I say ever. In in the immediate future, I don't think you're ever going to see anyone dominate as much as Hamilton has at Mercedes. Mm. Unless George Russell goes there, and then I could very well see it happening, to be honest. Maybe not initially, but long term, as he gains more experience. Um, and I get what you're saying about uh, Ferrari, but as in... I mean, for parts of that season before, like less right off last season because last season they were rubbish. But the season before that, you know, they were they were close in parts. But yeah, I don't know. Ferrari, they just need to get their act together, really. To be honest, it's as simple as that. They just need to get their car sorted, get their team sorted. Because I don't think it's just purely the car. You know, when you look at some of the tactical decisions they were making last year, it's clearly not uh, of a championship winning standard. Um, no. That is true. Sorry, yeah. take a swig of water there. Yes, yeah, so, but to be yeah, I, I mean, when I went for the F one guys, I was kind of looking at them thinking, the who's young, who's promising, and I literally could only pick out Leclerc and Russell. I mean, you could look at Stroll and go, he's got a pole. What about I don't think any of you. Oh, you good shout! I I don't know why. It's easy. I've always just it's easy Verstappen. because Verstappen has been there for so long. It's easy to forget that he's probably about the same age as these guys. He's twenty three. There you go. That's a whole... Oh, it's the same age as Charles Leclerc. Yeah. He's younger than Charles Leclerc by 16 days. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's easy that, to forget. Wow. If... if honestly, though, honestly, though, if Verstappen was in a Mercedes, if Mercedes went, you know what, we don't really need to show any loyalty to George Russell. Because to me, they don't. It's, you know... Well, it's a dog-eat-dog world formula. Uh, they don't have to show him anything. I mean, to be fair, George Russell does look very promising, so I don't know why they wouldn't, because it doesn't really make it. But if they went Verstappen, let's win everything, they probably would. I mean, um, I, I mean they'd on. probably do that with George Russell, to be honest. Yeah, I think George yeah, Russell's got a bit would. more of a level head than Verstappen, which I feel like the Mercedes would like. Do you not think Verstappen's matured a little bit? I think he has a little bit, but I think just his nature is um, is just a bit more fiery and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not... Uh, I think you... you need that little bit of venom in the way you act and the way you drive, where you go, nah, I'm not taking it. A little gonna... bit, yeah, but as much as Verstappen has, maybe not. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe... I mean, he's such a phenomenal driver, though, in terms of getting mm. the absolute extremes out of that car. 
Yeah. I mean, for all we know, that, that that Red Bull car may be the third best car or fourth best car, and Verstappen's just driving it to these uh, positions. I mean, we were lo- I was looking the other day, because we were doing a Formula 1 fantasy, and I was looking at Verstappen, and it was like, he retired five times last season. They weren't all his fault. A few of them were engine mm. failures and stuff like that. But Bottas only retired once, and Bottas finished with just nine points more than him. And it's like, there's four... There's four races that Verstappen, four more races that Verstappen didn't score in because yeah. of engine issues. And it's like, if he had, good gracious, he'd have absolutely destroyed Bottas last year. Yeah, and I, yeah. I don't think, I mean, at the end of last year, I wouldn't have said Bottas was massively off the pace of Hamilton. But since looking at some of the results he's had, I've been like, he, I don't know if it's just bad luck on his part or if he just genuinely isn't as quick as it looks. Like, I don't even know if he. I mean, if you were to rank all of the Formula 1 drivers, I don't know if Bottas is getting into the top five. <laughs> Just from looking at some of the results he gets, I'm thinking he's not particularly quick. Well, I mean, for me, the whole argument of, oh, the only reason Hamilton wins is because of his car is thrown out on that very basis. Because mm-hmm. on that argument, you know, Bottas should win an equal amount of races to Hamilton, which, as you've just said, he clearly doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean the thing is for Mercedes, they're just in that position at the moment. It's like, well, we could get somebody else, but Hamilton. No need to rock the boat. Yeah, but why rock the boat? Is in like they've, at the end of the day, Jack, they, they they've won the constructors like eight times now, mm-hmm. like consecutively, like you know, and okay, you know they they want the drivers' championship as well, but. The bottom line is, is Hamilton finished first in the championship, and Bottas finished second, didn't he? Yeah, pretty sure yeah. he finished second. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, even even though you, you Bottas doesn't beat Hamilton often, from Mercedes' point of view, they're like, well, as long as he finishes immediately behind Hamilton, that's fine with us. Yeah. Yeah. It's as simple as that for them. Yeah. Yeah. I got. Yeah. Mercedes, from their point of view, don't need to do anything different. No. But. Just look at it and you think, gosh, like, if, do you not think that it's a little bit passive? I, I, I do understand it. There, there's if absolutely won, no need to rock a boat if, if you are that won far If they two or three, Jack, I'd say, yes, it is passive. But, but do you not the think... that they've won, like, eight, is it, let, let's not forget that that's a record. They've not really had any competition during the time. And they, they was pretty close when the Ferrari, not last year, but the year before, they were close-ish, they were, were they not? But that's because they bent the regulations. Yeah, I got what you mean there, but you know, in that scenario, you had two cars that were quite close to each other. Well, I, they bent it, but they, it wasn't hundred percent. But uh, it wasn't, you know what I mean? Well, no, they couldn't hundred percent say that it, <laughs> it was. It, it that. was. That's why they were made to take it off their car. Yeah, um, <laughs> but in a sense, it's not. Well, when, when they've come up against someone equal, they haven't blown everybody away, and if. Red Bull have got it right with Perez, and if they're both genuinely competitive all the time, they they might need to make one of those drastic moves and go, hang on, but because to be fair, Bottas probably finished behind Verstappen more often than he finished ahead of him. If you if you only just well if you only get nine points more than him with four more race finishes, mm. but if Perez is genuine there as well and Bottas can't finish above him either you really are putting a lot of your eggs into Hamilton's basket that he's going to win enough, well, all of the races pretty much to negate mm. the difference between him and Bottas because 
I mean, it, it just to me, I've never thought about it before, but it does seem a little bit passive now that I think about it, that they aren't being proactive. In mind, you, to win the constructors, you don't necessarily have to have first and second every single race. As in, and I get you, that, remember, but if Perez catches the they were saying close. that they were saying at Imola they'd still be ahead if they just had Hamilton's points or something crazy like that. So, mm. and I think you know I get what but you're yeah. saying, but at the end of the day, the fact that you say that Mercedes haven't had much competition. The reason they haven't had much competition is because Mercedes have made an absolutely incredible car. And that's through their own doing. It's not that the the other teams have been bad. It's just that Mercedes have been that good. And they're on their own, really. And I I get that, what they're saying about Hamilton alone. But that's because, in a sense, Verstappen's also on his own at Red Bull. But Mm. if you have somebody matching close to Verstappen, those combined points might put them over the edge because yes. they'll be taking all those points off but I think Bottas when, as well I, I get what you're saying about the Red Bull thing but I don't is in the when they're saying oh Hamilton could have done it on his own I think that was more a recognition of how many points Hamilton had whereas when you say oh it's, with Red Bull it's the same scenario because Verstappen's the only driver I think that's because of how poor Albon is you know and I, I think I think Bottas does need to up his game I'm not saying that Bottas is the perfect number two driver because if he was he'd finish second every race behind Hamilton but you know at the end of the day from Mercedes point of view they could get you know realistically who would they get in now to replace Bottas you'd probably assume George Russell wouldn't you as in like kind mm-hmm. of bring him through as the next thing George Russell isn't going to be as passive as Bottas is you know, when yeah. when Mercedes say, right, Valtteri, you've got to come in now because we need to create a gap for Lewis or something like that, George Russell's going to be like, why am I creating a gap for Lewis? I want to win. Whereas Bottas, yeah. isn't, Bottas is a bit more passive. So, yeah, I, I think for Mercedes where they are at the moment, I don't think it... I get what you're saying, but at the same time, is it worth the risk? I'm not sure it is for Merck at the moment. I get what you mean. I mean... I'm just not a fan of the passive way of doing things when it just could go so wrong so quickly. I mean, if you look at maybe some other sports where if they just remained passive and didn't really challenge any of the players, it could go a little bit downhill. I mean, I I haven't really thought of any examples, but I'm not going to say that it's because they didn't have any competition, but that Liverpool squad, some of the guys' performances dropped and... Matt, it's not a really good example of that because they haven't really... It's not the same scenario. You've got two guys or whatever. Or maybe if you went to cycling. If you went to cycling, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll put um, Chris Froome. They'll always have Chris Froome at the top. And it's like, if you always have Chris Froome and a bunch of other guys just sort of helping him out, no one challenging him. It's like, you become a bit stale. And then you see another team like Jumbo Visma, which is another good cycling team, mm-hmm. come along and they'll go, well, we, we keep changing up a little bit and we maybe don't have the bike that... Ineos have but together you know all of our guys we can do enough damage to Froome that he isn't going to win these things and then they go well okay we'll go get Garrett Thomas we'll go get a guy called Egan Bernal mm. and we're going to dominate <laughs> and that's what they did mm. and I, I think for teams to stay at the top I think they do genuinely have to keep it fresh and keep being ambitious mm. I don't think they can afford all the time I, to be stale. I agree with you but I think there is the caveat in Formula 1 in that just because their driver lineup is staying the same, it doesn't mean that everything is staying the same. As in, like, a lot of Formula One is based on the R and D stuff that we don't see as fans, like, on the mm. face of it. So, a lot of the progression that Mercedes have made in the past four, five, or six years has been on their car. 
rather than their driver. They've got their driver package, cause, and they look at their driver package, and they go, right, that's fine. We're happy with that. And then they go, right, now it's all about making an unbeatable car. Effect. As in, I wouldn't mind betting that a lot of Mercedes resources this off-season is focused on making the Mercedes better behind cars relative to being in front of cars, because that was one of the big talking points last year in that the Mercedes was absolutely flying when it was out in front on its own, but as soon as they had to go chasing anybody, they were struggling because the engine would overheat. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a. it's easy to say that Mercedes aren't progressing because their lineup is saying the same. And on the face of it, that, that that can be how it appears. But ultimately, I think the majority of the legwork now... Because, again, what we've got to remember for Mercedes, it's not... You know, they're not having to make giant leaps. They're kind of just making minor adjustments now to make themselves eat that little bit more competitive. And they were so dominant last year that even a minor improvement is probably still going to keep them a long way ahead of the team following. They were keeping ahead, but I think one of the key ways they were dominating last season was because of the DAS system they had. And they won't have that this year because I'm pretty sure they wrote it out of the rules or wrote out the rules. They did. As soon as... So I and the the DAS wasn't just for straight line speed. It was also to preserve the tires because you were using a different part of the tire when they ankled them inwards, mm. so that they weren't dying completely. But Mercedes have always had that issue with tire wear, and yeah. I mean, who knows? Perhaps they actually take a small step backwards if they, I mean, if yeah, they start they to make, make a car to last. go behind cars and yeah. they lose the um, range of their tires. It's like maybe some of the others go forward and but, Mercedes sort of stagnate. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the thing is, I think it's quite easy to go, oh, well, things aren't working. Let's change the drivers. You know, that's what Ferrari have done. And Ferrari Mm. have not won a championship in 14 years. However long it is. Yeah, 14 years. So I think it's quite quick to say, uh, you know, quite quick. uh, It's easy to say Mercedes needs to keep things fresh. And I do agree with you. But I think, and I think if this was like after year three, I would probably say, yeah, Mercedes need to change things up a bit. But, you know, they've won it eight times, the constructors. And, like, I'm, I was just trying to think then, who was the last non-Mercedes Formula One world champion? Rosberg. Oh, no, non-Mercedes. Oh. Yeah, it was Vettel. It was Vettel at Red Bull. You know. Well, that is a long time ago. Yeah, and that's what I mean, isn't it? Isn't it? It's kind of like, it's like in the NFL, it's like the Patriots. It would be, like, after sort of, like, eight years, going, all right, well, they need to... Yes, they've been very good, but they need to change it up now. And, okay, yeah, you know, different sports is, you know, things are relative. But as in, I think there is... I guess what I'm saying is it would be a high, it would be high risk for Mercedes to now go and say, right, we'll get rid of Bottas and we'll get George Russell in. Especially this year, when, they, when the regulations haven't changed. I think it would be more likely to do it next year, to be honest. It, it, it could be risky. And obviously, everything's more risky when you change. But... I don't see there being much downside in terms of, I like I think I'd be pretty confident in saying that Russell's a faster driver than Bottas, so I don't see. I mean, the only risk there is is upsetting Hamilton, but I don't think. Well, and if, if Hamilton can't handle that, he's you know he probably should be able to handle that. He's a seven-time world champion. But let's not forget when Hamilton and Rosberg used to race, there were an awful lot more collisions than there are for Mercedes now when it's Bottas. Yeah. Do you not think that was in part just due to Rosberg kind of being a little bit more feisty? Um, like, I've always thought of... I mean, Russell, yeah. I'm sure, would love just to learn and sit behind Hamilton for oh, a little I bit. Oh, I don't know. Go, I, Do you I, really I, think he'd... 
I, Try I, and push him? I think. Well, I, yeah, I think so. As in, at the end of the day, George Russell is a young Formula One driver. He's there to win. He's not there to to sit around. Um, and you know, I think I think you saw that when he took over for Hamilton for that one race. You know, I think it would have been quite easy for George Russell to go there and just be like, right, if I just finish behind Bottas, job done. But that's well, not actually, how he was. No, I think the scenario is a little bit different there because I think he knows his direct competition for a seat is Bottas. So if he mm. can really stick it on him and hammer him into the ground in one race, mm. I think then everyone goes, oh. The question genuinely lingers, but I, mm. I don't think he'll have that same desired effect if he tried to do but that then, against Hamilton. I guess what I'm saying is, having George Russell shadow um, Lewis Hamilton, is that any different from when Leclerc joined Ferrari shadowing Vettel? And how did that work out after one year? By the That's end of the season, point. at the end of the season, Charles Leclerc was made their number one driver. So I, I, I think George Russell wouldn't go there just to be a, a seat occupant, he'd be there to win, I think. That's fair. That's a good argument. That didn't think yeah. about the Leclerc Vettel one. Yeah. Anyway, I did put Naomi Osaka from tennis. Okay. So I thought let's get some other sports in there, and she has got four Grand Slam titles as of mm. the Sunday just gone. Yeah. So I thought perhaps, but to be fair, she has to match Serena Williams. <laughs> and as There's good no as you feet, can be. It? Yeah. To, to be fair, there's. I mean, in Serena's career, she's had quite a few good people to go up against. But yes. I think women's tennis is taking a small downturn at the moment in terms of, like, you know, you could have named your Sharapovas and some of the others. Um, I'm not, not great on my tennis, but <laughs> Azarenka, Azarenka, there we go. See, I know some names. Well, um, Muguruza beat her, was it Wimbledon not that long ago? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So you get, you get quite a few of the bigger names back then, but... They're just not as many of them now. So I think she could potentially match, but I don't think that would be on the same dominating level as Serena. But I uh, kind of just checked know, it out Sorry, on, on tennis, do we know if Wimbledon's going ahead this year? Um, I'm, got, I'm pretty sure it is. Hopefully. Um, but I yeah, but I don't see why it wouldn't, in a sense. Well, because tennis. I'm rubbish yeah. at it. I've never played it, but I enjoy watching it. Seems like a slog. I can't. I can't imagine how on earth you'd learn it if you were just playing with one other person. Because that ball, you'd be chasing that for half the time. It's like you just can't do this. <laughs> um, fair enough. enough. Um, should we move on to our shock of the week or shocks of yeah. the week? Um, my sh- my shock of the week, which we've already mentioned, is the fact that West Ham are in the top four. Completely caught me off guard. I know they'd been doing all right, but until they got into the top four, it was like, whoa, I got a minute. <laughs> I, I didn't mm. sign up for this at the start of the season. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, it, though. that was my shock. Biggest, best team in London at the moment, that makes them. Mm. That's crazy. Um, mine is that Thomas Tuchel brought off Callum Hudson-Odoi just 31 minutes after bringing him on. <laughs> so at half-time he brings on Hudson-Odoi, goes, he's not ready in this game, takes him straight back off. Well, the thing was, as well, it was, it was the fact that he not only did that, he then like absolutely threw him under the bus with his comments after the game when asked, why did you do it? basically said it didn't like his energy so whoa <laughs> all right yeah but to be fair apparently he had the desired effect because today apparently hudson adoy is back to his normal self giving it everything so maybe maybe well. two shells a little bit of a a genius at this whole mind management who knows perhaps he's all right at this management malark <laughs> yeah <laughs> who knows um there we are um should we have a quick discussion about uh covid in sport before we finish yeah let's do that um, um, yeah, go on, you, you take us through it. Um, well, the French squad has got lots of COVID at the moment. Um, 
and I don't quite know what's going to happen with them because, I mean, when you look at rugby, that is a much more hands-on contact it's sport. Contact, than, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you are really breathing in the air. The other guys are breathing out. So this I, is the thing. James Haskell did a piece on this the other day because um, rugby players have been told off for celebrating, like high fiving all that kind of stuff. And he said, in terms of rugby, he said it's absolute nonsense because he said, like, if, yeah. when you think of a scrum. You're basically going into like a sixteen-man huddle, like all sweaty <laughs> and breathing, and then you tell them that you can't high-five one of your teammates. It's just bonkers. But no, yeah, yeah, like nonsense, rugby though, is one yeah. of those sports, isn't it? Because I'm trying, like Dupont has got COVID, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's one of them, today, and yeah. I can't. Who's the other one? Um, Gutierrez, was it? It's some of some of the bigger ones. I'm pretty sure it was. It was um, oh no, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. Was... Olivon. Yes, Olivon's that's it. got it. It's captain. Um, Bryce Doolin, Cyril Doolan. Bile. Doolan is I 15. I can't say his name. Roman Taufafenu. <laughs> <laughs> you try saying that. How do you, how do you spell it, mate? T A O F I F E N U A. Roman Taufafenu. Uh, Cyril. <laughs> Cyril Bayel, it's like Braille but without the R. Okay. Cyril Bayel. We've got a Pito Malvaca. <laughs> so, you pronouncing these names has made this podcast. <laughs> these are great. These these are phenomenal. I think I'm saying he's correct. You might. You may well be. You may well be. Oh, good. At least I'm not getting shown wrong. <laughs> if you knew them, that would be. Worse. Oh no 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 no. no. I, I'll we'll just take I, it as I said. If I knew them, I wouldn't let you go through the pain of trying to pronounce them. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be brutal. I have no idea. Oh, I know Doolan because Doolan's uh, the the fifteen, I think, and you got Dupont. Um, Olive on oh, yeah. captain is the Arthur pro. Vincent. Yeah, Julian Marchand, Gavin Villiers. Okay, so Mohammed House. Would it be easier to name those who don't have COVID in the French squad? It may do, but to be fair, it's a big team, fifteen players. Um, but yeah, it's about half. It's <laughs> a lot, isn't it? Just, I'll be honest. I. I thought Wales must be playing them. Like we've had two people with red cards so far in the two games we've played, and it's like, well, why not play a French squad with COVID? It's like <laughs> I was thinking we're we're going to have handed the Six Nations at yes. this rate, but we're not playing them for the last last uh, game of the season, unfortunately. Mm. So we we we're not going to be seeing any sort of ease from this. Mm. But uh, the the I think no, not not the Irish. The Irish just lost them, didn't they? Mm. I think the Italians play them next, so that might be a bit of a. Oh no, they no, they I can't remember who they play. I thought remember. they were playing Wales next. No, I think they played Wales in the last game. Let me have a look at the fixtures. Yeah, fair enough. Because I can't. Yeah. No, no, because I can't remember who the. I'm sure I checked uh, it before I and thought, no, it's Wales last, but <laughs> if it is Scotland. Wales, Scotland. It's uh, meant Scot- to be. It's Scotland. meant to be Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. Okay, so Scotland have got a nice game. Mm. Uh, Here we are. <laughs> But yeah, so so they've got COVID, and it's like, well, there doesn't seem to be anything in place in rugby. They don't seem to, there was no risk of it. Like when, when the NFL got COVID, any team that got it, it was like, that team doesn't play, mm. and we'll just reschedule it later on. They moved all the fixtures around really well, and managed to get games off. They'd have games on Tuesdays and Mondays. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I think they'll reschedule it. Oh, okay. I um, think... But then, yes, we're going you see other you see other sport like cycling, Alpecin Phoenix, which is one of the bigger teams. Mm. They've just withdrawn from the United Arab Emirates tour because one member of their team got the virus. Mm. Even though one of the 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 race leader of the whole thing was on their team, they 
took the whole team out because they don't want to compromise the sport. And it's like, well, oh, different sports are doing this very different. Well, that's the rules in cycling. So it's, it does sort of, well, I don't know if it raises a question as such, but it's like, it. there seems to be a little, this, there needs to be a bit of a one rule for everybody because at the moment, at the moment, it just seems that Different rules for different sports, different mm. teams, different players. I mean, doesn't seem do you reckon there's different consistency of testing, do you think? Do you reckon that, like, for football, for example, yeah, I would not be surprised. That's what I mean, as in, like, they'd be tested, like, well, probably... They, they like, were making the argument early on that football players should get the vaccine first, not because they deserve it, but because it would save the NHS money. So, in a sense, by giving the footballers, then the Premier League hasn't got to order loads of samples but they could still provide the money to the nhs that they want in a it would be like a, a win-win for both where mm. all the players get vaccinated but then i guess but the premier league keeps contributing without cost to the nhs anything that depends on whether you look at it from a financial perspective or a uh an international health perspective yeah i get what you mean in a sense, they get all that, that money for not having to do any vaccines. Mm. Probably would help them out in the long run. For but I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I was saying was more the fact that you know, if you're able to do like consistent testing all of the time with football, you know, with rugby, if they're doing like, say, one COVID test a day, you know, football, they may be doing like one every half day or something. You know, you're more likely to yeah. kind of weed out all of those with coronavirus with the football, aren't you? Whereas you know, all it would take is one false negative and then you're stuffed with them. And it clearly looks like something's gone on with the French squad because, you know, like, um, there have been others in other sports, you know, where, like, one player has had... Like, for example, if you look at Liverpool, Thiago had COVID, Sadio Mane had COVID, and then that was it. Nobody else had COVID in the Liverpool squad. Mm. Whereas, mm. like, it's almost like the French squad. Like, I, I just read... It was on BBC Sport then. They said, I think it was 10 players... Yeah, wow. ten players, including here we go, including Olive Orn. So you've got. I'm just trying to think. So you've got Olive Orn. You see that? Are they still training Marchand, though? Uh, say again, sorry. Are they still tra- training though? The French squad. Probably, I would assume so. But you see, you go to other sports like the NFL, and it's like they okay, stopped, yeah. one guy gets it. Let's say he's in the offensive line. Hmm. All of the offensive line then has to isolate. Everybody mm. else can't go into the facilities. They all well, have to go got, from home. Sorry, they said a decision the, will be made about whether the match will be played on Wednesday. Ah, uh, okay. So two days to find mm. out, but who knows? But do, do you not think that gives them an unfair advantage now, especially in such a physical sport as rugby? Both um, France and Scotland could have sort of a two-week break towards this next Maybe, round but fixtures. I feel like it's best efforts, to be honest. Yeah. Although, to be fair, if they have two weeks off now and then they just play back to back. Exactly. It just means they lose the the gain at the end. Yeah. And and you could argue that by having to play it, they lose a bit of momentum. So, you know, I I feel like it swings around about. It's not ideal, but as in, I think it's probably about as fair as they could do at at the current time. That's fair enough. Well, you see, F1, they didn't let anybody. Race with COVID. I mean, obviously, I don't think you'd want to race with COVID. I was, pr- I was but... about to say, it'd probably be like brutal, like Formula <laughs> yeah. One driving. The G forces, you're like, yeah. I just cannot be bothered for this right now. Yeah, it's like, um, hmm, how do we make this harder? Yes, we'll make the Formula One drivers struggle to breathe. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it was just a weird one with that because 
Formula One was one of the sports that was probably more fussy about it than any of the others in terms of... Yeah. It was like no one's entering this sort of compound until the race weekend's over. It's just everybody in and out is getting blitzed with tests. Yeah, it, it does seem that like different sports have taken different approaches, doesn't it? And it seems like um, the NFL went with kind of mass testing and kind of mass isolation if, if somebody to, was positive. To um, be fair, I think the NFL did it has done it better than any other sport. Probably. Like, I know, obviously, they've had more cases than some others, but, but you've got to remember, it's... Cases. Yeah, exactly. So that's first and foremost. There's been no lockdowns in the US, so there's just been chaos Has there. No, they not? No, they didn't bother with the lockdowns in the end. That's mental. Trump didn't bother, and by the point that Biden came in, he was like, well, it's too late now. He's like, what's, what's it going to do? And you can't lock down everybody at this stage, but with the NFL, it's like they're not... The squads, firstly, are 53 men, not mm. including the practice squad of players, which might be another 30. Yeah. So there's about 90 guys that are just players, and they test every member of personnel. So mm. that's um, coaches, assistant coaches, you know, specific position coaches, uh, all your trainers in terms of, like, you know, massagers, whatever, all those guys. Mm. It's like you're testing probably about two... 150 people in 32 different teams every single day, twice a day. Crazy, and it's like, that's just relentless. incredible. Absolutely and the relentless. fact that they didn't have to delay it. Like, they, they delayed some games, but the fact that they got the whole season completed in the time span that it was meant to mm. and had the Super Bowl on time, that's incredible. That mm. They really got that sorted. Fair play. Big up NFL. Yeah, yeah. They, did, they did well. Um, should we finish off with our start of the week? Let's do that. Okay, my start of the week. Now, bear with me on this one because it's more the. It's almost. It's a. I'm trying to think of how to word this. It's a. It caught me off guard, this stat. And that is since Jurgen Klopp took charge of his first UEFA Champions League match at Liverpool in September 2017, Liverpool have registered more clean sheets in the competition than any other side. Which. To be honest with you, really caught me off guard. Because let's not forget, that first season, the first part of that Champions League campaign, we didn't even have Van Dijk. It's like we were playing like Lovren and Clavan um, at centre-off. So yeah, that caught me off guard more than anything. Um, yeah. I, I, be, I, th- I do think, though, that one of the reasons that might have been the case is because you've played so many games in it. Like you've made possibly, possibly, two yeah. trips to the finals... Or was it three trips to the finals? Yeah, no, two two trips to the finals. So we, we lost in Kiev, one in Madrid, and then last time we got to round of 16, I think we got knocked out by Atletico. But, yeah, it is really impressive. And then, But then also you've got to remember, not every team gets in every year. I mean, I mean no. United, I don't think we're really going to every year. But you, you probably, to be fair, though, you've got more clean sheets then than basically PSG, Madrid, Barca, Bayern. Atletico, Bayern... Um, City, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Those are the sort of the regular ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair. UV. Decent stint, that. Yeah. Borussia Dortmund. Surprising. Surprising. Uh, yeah, very surprising. Uh, my stat of the week. Now, I was going to go with Liverpool losing four in a row for the first time since 1923. But I wasn't. I'm not going to go with that one. My stat of the week. And to be fair, I didn't find this one. My cousin Morgan did, and he wanted a shout-out for it. So this is a shout-out for Morgan. He said... Well, he found that all 42 of Mikel Antonio's Premier League goals have come from inside the box. 
the only only Tim Kim Hill. Sorry, for time. Only Tim <laughs> Cahill. Tim Cahill. <laughs> Tim Cahill. That's all the credit for you. Only Tim Cahill with fifty six. Chicharito Hernandez with fifty three. And Gabriel Jesus, with also 53, have scored more goals without scoring a goal from outside the box. Wow. Just quite impressive only to score the, goals in the box. Can I just say, that the, the impressive stat within that impressive stat is the fact that Gabriel Jesus has scored 53. I thought that as well. That's yeah. really caught me off guard. Wow. But, and that they're all in the box. I just, you know, you know like, I can imagine Hernandez, or Chicharito Hernandez, whatever, scoring just in the box. Because he is just, he is the poacher supremo. He just flicks mm. balls on all over the place and gets them into the back of the net somehow. Tim Cahill, I was a little bit surprised, but mm. to be fair, he's always been an in-the-box guy. But mm. Jesus, I thought, gosh. I mean, the thing that's I surprising just... with Mikel Antonio as well is like he started his career on the wing. Like Yeah, but a lot of his goals... Were... Do you remember that season where I think he was top scorer for a stage with like, like all headers, four or five they? goals? And they were all headers, yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what is going on? How does this guy score so many headers? Just like <laughs> scraping his face along the ground to yeah. score tappings. <laughs> Yeah, he's the sort are. of guy who'd run it past the keeper, take it onto the line, and then header it into the net just for fun. That was a good yeah. stat. Good, good stat, Morgan. Yes. Good stat. Um, right, here we are. That's the end of the podcast this week. Slightly short one because uh, being Nothing a happened. A, yeah, <laughs> been a bit of a quiet week in the uh, the old world of sport this week. But we'll be back again next week, where hopefully we'll have a bit more to uh, to ramble on about. Um, to analyse at the very least. Yes. Yes. Um, well, who knows? Perhaps we can do a review of like Formula One car liveries because Alfa Romeo's was released today. Alfa Tauri. Oh, I haven't seen that. I didn't know it was. Go- I knew it was going to be released. Yeah, I, I so perhaps we'll yet. have a bit of a talk about them. Maybe who knows? Um, yeah, we're on uh, Spotify and YouTube. So if you're listening online with those, why not give us a follow or a subscribe um, if you want to? Obviously, um, we're also on Pocket Cast, Breaker, um, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts. Yeah, you got them. I've got them all. You got them. Nice. I was I was sitting on those. I, I got it all in my head. You, you were waiting for me to Which not say Apple Podcasts, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we are. Right, pleasure as always, Jack. Um, and yes. we shall speak to you next week. Yeah.